0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. I remember in 2006, my wife Rebecca and I were moving down here to South Florida, and we were coming on staff here at our church. And we were um, moving from another state where we were both, Rebecca and I were both in graduate school, and um, so as we're moving down here, looking for a place to live, um, it was a challenging time in 2006 to find uh, a place to live. The, the housing market was crazy. Um, the prices were soaring. Uh, the market was hot. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? For some reason, it just sounds like I've heard that somewhere. Anyway. Anyway. So we were moving down here, and, um, you know, we were... Um, I-, I tell you, we were in graduate school because we did not have a lot to offer uh, a lender, okay? Like, we were, like, eating ramen noodles and jello. Like, that was an entire... Well-balanced meal for us in those days, okay? And so, I uh, remember, we got connected with uh, with an awesome realtor, and then we got connected with a broker, and the broker was like a friend of a friend of a friend. So I didn't really know the guy, and um, we start talking, and so he's collecting like all of our information so that he can go um, hunt down a good loan and get us some pre-approval or whatever. And and um, so I'm wa- showing him like, look, we've we've done the best we can. We've tried to be wise with our finances, but we don't have just a lot of, of life under our belt yet. We don't have a lot to offer. And so I was like, he's like, oh well, show him what you got. So we start giving him all the information. And I remember he he got this one point where he said, you know, one thing that lenders really look for is um, like employment stability. And so they want to know like how long you've been in the current job um, that that you are in now. That's something that's really important to them. And I said, "Uh, okay, well, I mean, that's not great news. I've only been, you know, working at at the church for like two months. So I'm sure that (laughs) doesn't make him feel great so um, but uh, but you know I I can put that down and he says well really what lenders are looking for is they are they're hoping for like a minimum of like two to five years like that's the zone that they really want to be in so and I said well that doesn't help me I've only been here for like two months and he says says this he goes well look you decide what you're gonna put down that's your business you put down whatever you're gonna put down and then whatever you put down that's what I take to the lender. So you decide what you put down. I said, I don't, are we having the same conversation? <laughs> I said, I've been here for, for two months. And I honestly, I was like, I was not getting what he was saying. Okay, like I was being really, <laughs> really thick headed about it. Okay, so he's like, he's like, I see, I see. He says, okay, but you know, what they're looking for <laughs> is this number of years. So whatever you put down, I mean, you decide, he keeps saying this over and over and finally I realized, oh, you want me to lie. That's what you want. You want me to lie. I'm like, look, I, I, I finally, it took me a long time to figure this out. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Look, man, I, I'm going to just have to roll the dice and I'm going to put down two months. That's how long I've been here. I, I, I'm not going to lie. And, you know, I'm sure he wasn't happy. And uh, he took that back. And, um, you know, the, what happened over the next couple years, if I'm honest, it's a long, it turned out to be a long story. Um, And I'll, I'll spare you all the details of that long story, but it definitely did not go how Rebecca and I planned. It went longer than we planned. It was up and down. It was an adventure. But at the end of the adventure, we saw God's hand, God's protection, God's provision. We saw God work all things together for good in a way we could have never have foreseen it. But I remember when um, I I had the the sheet in front of me, I printed it out. I was gonna like actually fill it in and I, I had like the pen over the line where it says like work history, like how long have you worked there? And I remember just, I just remember like the way that this guy had talked to me, it was like everything depended on the number I wrote on that line. It was like whether or not We would find a place to live whether or not we would have a home to build a family in whether or not we would be sleeping under a bridge or not okay it felt like it was all dependent on one tiny little number i mean It's just a little number. In fact, probably no one would care. Probably the lender's expecting me to fill in the wrong number. I mean, it seems like everyone wins if I just put a different number. I mean, probably everyone's putting in a different number, and it's just one little stroke of the pen. It felt like it was all reliant on that number. But it wasn't reliant on that number, was it? It was reliant on Almighty God. You know, here's the interesting thing about about integrity. The interesting thing about integrity is it it, it really, we tend to write it off as like um, there's these church things that we do, like these spiritual things we do, and then there's like the everyday life things that we do. And like there's the, the church things. Like we, we would sit in church and like we'd sit in small group and we'd sit with Christians and we'd say, well, lying's a sin. I mean, it made the big 10 in the Old Testament. Thou shalt not lie. I mean, we know lie Who would lie? I wouldn't lie. Would you lie? You wouldn't lie. I wouldn't lie. You wouldn't lie. Who's lying? No one's lying. I mean, we, we're, no one, we're not gonna lie. I mean, it seems like a very unspiritual thing to do to lie. Like we would, we would never do something like lie. And in, in, a, in a sacred setting... What we believe in a, in, a, in a church setting, a small group setting, among Christians, in a Bible study, it's so clear cut. But here's the crazy thing about integrity. See, we, we it's clear cut in like a sacred setting, but when we get into that like secular setting, when it's doing business, when it's um, trying to get a promotion, when it's trying to get a scholarship, when it's, when it's trying to get a loan, when it's trying to make a deal, when it's trying to, to work out business and run a business, start a business, whatever it is. When we're in the everyday life side of things, it feels like not as cut and dry, right? It so often feels like a little murky, like that's just the way business is done. That's what everyone expects. That's what I I probably should do. Or man, if I don't do that, we'll look at the consequences. I mean, it, it seems like it's a little bit harder. In fact, we might even be willing to say like, well, look, if you wanna be a Boy Scout... I mean, you tell the truth all the time, but this is the real world, man. I mean, in the real world, you're going to get eaten alive if you try and have uh, integrity all the time. I mean, that, that's just the way things are. But as we've been talking through this series, here's the thing we've said. We said when it comes to your life and my life, if you're a Christian, there's no divide between sacred and secular. That, those categories do not exist. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what this means. Remember, like theologically, here's what this means. That means you've been so washed clean by what Jesus did, not by how you live, but by what Jesus did. You've been so washed clean that the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, is living inside of you. That's a new thing that happens in the New Testament. That's something that happens in your life. That means you are housing the Holy Spirit, the the Spirit of Almighty God. You are housing the Holy Spirit. And so how the New Testament describes you, it says that you are then like a flesh and blood temple wherever you go, taking the presence of God wherever you go. That means anything you touch, any room you walk into, any activity you do, any part of your life is sacred. There's no divide And so when we think about something like integrity, there's actually, it's not just like, well, this is life and this is trying to do your best to be spiritual. No, no, no. It's Everything is sacred before God, and so deep down when it comes to integrity, it's asking a much, much deeper question with every single one of those tiny little decisions, every one of those tiny little comments, every one of those tiny little reports, every one of those moments all come down to this one deep down question. Where is my faith? What is, it, what is my faith built on, and what am I actually relying on? that's where my faith is. And so here's what I want to show you today. I want to take you to a part of the Bible. And maybe you're tempted to think that, you know, the Bible, it's just, it's old, it's outdated, it's ancient. It doesn't really apply today. I heard uh, someone once say, the Bible is as relevant as tomorrow's newspaper. And I want you to see a story that shows you you may say, "Look, preacher, before you go off on this sermon, look, you don't know the real world that I live in." And you know what? You might be right. You might be right, but don't have the audacity to think God does not know, and that His Word doesn't stand firm. I want you to see a very real world story. Real, real world story. That talks about this very subject. I want you to open with me to Genesis 39. If you have a Bible or Bible app, open to Genesis 39. Now, this is, um, we we talked about this story a little bit last week. It's the story of a guy named Joseph. Now, let me just get you caught up. If you weren't, if you didn't join us uh, last week, you can always catch that online on the website or on the City Rev app. But um, last week, here's how the story plays out there's a boy named Joseph, he has 11 brothers. Most of them are older than him and very, very jealous because all signs are pointing to the fact that he is going to inherit his dad's very successful um, uh, household, basically his company. He's going he's to inherit it, and all of his older brothers are very, very jealous, and so they say, hey, I have an idea. What if we sell him into slavery? That's about the worst-case scenario. They sell him as a slave. He travels away from his family all the way down to Egypt where he's sold into the household of a man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar is like one of Pharaoh's chief guys. Remember, Egypt is the superpower of the world. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world. Potiphar, who oversees his guard, would be one of Pharaoh's right hand guys. So uh, Joseph finds himself as a servant boy, as a slave, and one of the most powerful men in the world's household. And he starts out just doing the job. I mean, he's got no freedom, it's not like he can quit. This is his life. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have any options. And so he's doing probably work that we would say would be a human rights violation. It'd probably be work that we would say is just inhumane. But slowly as he's doing that, it says, as he grows to become a man, so many, many years later, it says God's with him. And as God's with him, he shows favor on Joseph. And so everything Joseph touch, touches, God makes it succeed. And so eventually Potiphar sees this, and he raises Joseph uh, up to run his entire household. And now Joseph is overseeing the entire household of one of the most powerful men in the world. Now, I want to just read these three verses as a recap, and, and here's this is so important. I want you to see how many different ways this, these verses unequivocally say that it is God who gives him success. Watch how many different ways it says this. We're picking this up in Genesis 39, verse 3. His master saw that... See, how many times, like, the the author of Genesis here is saying, like, I want to make sure that you don't miss. Like, God is speaking speaking here, making sure that we do not miss. It's like four times in these short verses, God is the one giving him success. It's not that Joseph is just a, a super smart, you know, like, just a wizard at administration. Like, maybe God gave him that gift, but irregardless, it is God who is giving him the success. This is what God's doing here. I want to make sure you don't miss that. Okay, now let's keep going because here's where things get real. Pick it up in verse 6. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Okay, this just got interesting. This is when this passage um, turns a little bit into a soap opera, okay? And it gets, but it's what happened. This is historical, okay? Joseph has a lot of success. Everything he touches is successful. Literally, it says the only thing Potiphar worries about is what he's going to have for lunch. Joseph makes all the other decisions. He's got a lot of power, he's a good-looking guy, and so all of a sudden, one day, Potiphar's wife notices him, who's this guy? And she approaches him, and she says, lie with me. Now I want to make sure you see the tense in Hebrew here, because this is important, because this is real life. This is not a request. The tense in Hebrew is an imperative, which means this is a command. This is where she is leveraging her position to talk him into into sleeping with her. She's commanding him to do this. Okay. Now, let's just put some of the context here. Joseph is a young man, not married yet. No prospects, by the way. He's not really in a position to find a wife. No prospects. He's alone, and he's living in a very, um, a very sultry Egyptian culture. We'll say like the way that they dressed in that time period would make people in South Beach blush. <laughs> Let me just put it like that. I'll spare you the details. Okay, it's a very um, sensual at times, part of this culture, and so what do you think Joseph's thoughts are going to be? Okay, like, well, <laughs> um, I, 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 how many ways he could rationalize it? I, I don't have an option. I'm a slave here, so, you know, she commands me to do that. I do that, you know? That's, uh, I'm told to do that. I don't have an option, and for him, remember, like, the consequences are not, like, getting fired. The consequences could be worse, so he's really caught here in a very difficult situation. He could rationalize like well what else am i going to do i have you know i'm i'm a young man i have i have needs i don't have i mean i don't have any option to go get married i you know what what are my options here? I mean, you know, and by the way, like, I, this isn't the life that I chose. I didn't want this. I, everything was going great. I was in my father's house. I was succeeding. Like, everything was great. And then I had these dreams. And then, you know, I, got I thought they were from you. I mean, maybe this is something I should do. Yeah, when, am I, when do I get something for me? I mean, like, I, God, I, I, all I've tried to do is be faithful with what you've told me, what you've shown me, walk along here. But, like, yeah, I mean, I don't have any options. Well, you know, I, I don't have any options. I, I, I mean, how could I say no? And, you know, anyway, God, I mean, when, is it, when, when do I get something for me? There's a lot of things he could say right now. Look what he says. Let's pick it up in, uh, in verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? Is that what it says? No, it says sin against who? God. God. Do you see how the Bible sets all this up? It's building this whole argument on how he can't do that to Potiphar. Do you see this? He says, man, listen, clearly I'm not going to do this. And he says, why, why would I not do this? He says, well, for starters, I've been given by my master. I've been given by Potiphar all of this influence. I have all of this authority. He says, Potiphar's not greater in this house than I am. In other words, if I say something, I have so much authority in this house. If I say something, it's like if Potiphar says something. That's how much authority. He's not kept anything from me except for his marriage. Like you see, Joseph's like, no, I'm not gonna break up a marriage. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna break down the integrity of a marriage. He says, he says, no. How could I? I'm, he's your wife. I'm, I, you're, you're his wife. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna break that apart. He says, how could I do that? But then he reveals his true, deepest motivation. He says, how could I do that? And after building this whole argument of all that Potiphar's done for him, he says, how could I do that and sin against God. There's all these good earthly reasons, but really it comes down to God. I stand before God. Every minute of my life is watched over by God. All that I have was gotten me by God. How could I do this and sin against God? Pick it up in verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in, in the house. This is one of those times where, like the music is swelling and you're like, run away, Joseph, run away. Don't go in there, don't do it. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. You know, if this was like if she approached him like one time, it'd be like um, just a great Bible story, right? You know, it'd be like that. You could just tie it up in a nice bow, right? Hey, come sleep with me. No, I'm not going to do that because I love God. And then it's all better after that. (laughs) But that's not this. And this, because this is real. It's day after day after day after day. It's not one decision, right? It's dozens of decisions. It's standing strong against temptation dozens of times. And you can imagine, I mean, you got to see, especially when you see the words she says next. This woman is a crafty woman. This isn't her first rodeo. If there's no dudes in the house at that time, there's probably a reason. And maybe many of them do what she says because maybe they were her last victims. What does Joseph do? You see, as she's coming after him day after day after day, he says he, he, doesn't, he doesn't even go near her anymore. He doesn't talk with her. He doesn't go near her. He sets a boundary. He says, this is not a safe place. I'm getting out of here. And then one day he finds himself. She grabs his cloak. He leaves the cloak behind and he flees. He just gets out of the house. You see, he is committed. He's not getting close to the line. He's not like saying no, but sending her text messages on the side. He's not saying no, but remaining uh, friends with with her on social media. He's shutting it down. I don't need to go near this. This is not safe. I don't want to have anything to do with this. I'm out of here. Man, you got to believe God's going to honor His integrity, right? Let's see what happens. Verse 13. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. Do you know the he she's talking about is Potiphar? See how she just digs on her husband? See how she's getting all the men there against her husband? This is a broken person. This is a this is a person who's a very manipulative person. See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into, li- uh, came, in to, to, came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice... And cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. That's how the Lord honored him for his faithfulness. Now, uh, you're Joseph. You started out. Things are going great. You're about to take over your dad's business. You had all these dreams from the Lord. Things seem to be going great. You find yourself sold into slavery. Years, probably more like a decade goes by, you've done a terrible job that you can't get out of, and you finally see the Lord's, if you're trying to be faithful to the Lord, you see the Lord's faithfulness, you're on top, and then you have this temptation coming after you over and over and over and over and over again, and you've stayed firm, your integrity hasn't cracked, and you've said, no, I will not honor the Lord. You give, you, give, you, you give all the focus to the Lord, you've honored the Lord, and now you wind up getting lied about, you've done nothing wrong, and you wind up in prison. You're Joseph. How do you feel? How's your relationship with God doing? How's your prayer life? How's your hope and expectancy? Do you still have this brimming hope that all things work together? you have this brimming hope that, that God's still going to work this out? Or are you starting to live kind of like a sink down into this fatalistic, well, this kind of jaded kind of state of, well, look, this is just life. Life's hard. You never get breaks. You just got to hold on and do the best you can. Is this kind of this, this kind of hardened, jaded kind of perspective come over? You still have this vibrant, hope-filled, lively prayer life, hoping in God. All right, let's wrap this story up. What happens? Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph, same phrasing of when he arrived in slavery, and showed him steadfast love. That's the first time that's been explicitly stated in this chapter. And gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Joseph starts over, just a little lower this time. And the Lord's with him. And slowly he's overseeing everything in the prison. Still not his dream job, by the way. Overseeing everything in the prison. But here's then the rest of the story. We talked about this last week. It's because he's out of Potiphar's house. Let me back up. It's because he's out of his father's house and brought to Egypt and then out of Potiphar's house and in the dungeon that he's positioned then for God to have him one day stand before Pharaoh, if you kept reading. Stand before Pharaoh. And then God uses him, he has favor, God's favor's on him, and Pharaoh then raises him to his right hand, and now he's overseeing everything in Egypt, saves the region from a famine, and tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives are spared. But he had to be in the prison to be positioned for God to move him up to be in that fulfillment of the dreams that God had put in his heart. What's Joseph's story? It's not a fairy tale. It's an adventure. Fairy tales are unrealistic. Not necessarily happy endings, but fairy tales. Fairy tales are, there's one conflict and then they all live happily ever after. An adventure is one exciting, death-defying moment after the next. And with God, all things play out as a happy ending in the end, according to his plan, which is far better than our hopes and dreams. He lived an adventure. But here's what I want you to see in here. It's so profound. The word for steadfast love is one of the richest words in the entire Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word chesed. And that type of love is not just the open word that we use for love that can mean anything like, I love my puppy, and I love to eat pizza, and I love, it's not that kind of love. This word for, this word chesed in the Hebrew is this covenantal love. It's anchored to a covenant that God has made to his people. That's why it's steadfast. In fact, in the book of, of Hosea, The book of Hosea is one whole story and one illustration of how God is faithful to us as a husband is faithful to to a wife. He's faithful to us consistently, unflinchingly, steadfastly, never fails us. He has this constant, covenanted love over us. Even when we are unfaithful, he still has that consistent Perfect love for us. Listen to how he describes his relationship with his people. He says this in Hosea two verse nineteen, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast, in steadfast love. There's Hesed, in steadfast love and in mercy. He says, I, my relationship to you. He said, God is saying to his people, my relationship to you is one that's like a marriage covenant, except I'm a perfect spouse to you, God says. I'm perfectly faithful, constant in love, will never fail you, will never forsake you, will never leave you. I will constantly have compassion, constantly have empathy, constantly work for your good, constantly serve for, for, for your good according to my plan. He says he constantly has that kind of love for us. He has chesed kind of love for us. This is the love that has been watching over Joseph this whole time. But right at this darkest moment, he's bringing that kind of love to the surface. And here's what's so, so beautiful. Joseph says to Potiphar's wife, I will not enter into an adulterous relationship because of his relationship with God. Why? Because stepping into that adultery would be having adultery against God. Because he has a covenantal relationship with God. Cheat, causing this woman to cheat, causing for him to fracture his, his purity, would be him cheating on God. He is covenanted with God. And since he's covenanted with God, every moment of his life matters to God, it matters in that relationship. We're in this series called City Changers. And in this, city, in this series, we're talking about how do we as believers, day after day, go out into the world and, and, and realize and take advantage of how he's positioned us to see our city transform. Because we're not here to just build a church. We're here to see a city transformed by the power of the gospel. And he wants to use you tomorrow. In what seems like very everyday circumstances, what seems like your Monday grind, he wants to use use you in that space because what seems ordinary to you, he is empowering and doing extraordinary things through it, even though you might not see it. And so we talked about this week 1 we talked about we're called to be an incarnational presence we talked about incarnation you are you and I when we go out into the world are the presence of Jesus wherever we go it's an opportunity to love on someone and show and demonstrate the love of Jesus wherever we go that's who we're called to be week 2 we talked about innovation we talked about we're made in the image of God and so because of that, he's made us to, as we work, our, our very work itself is worship to God. And so as we worshipfully create and innovate, as we work, we're actually doing that as worship to the Lord. And so every single thing we do, whether answering an email or putting a budget report together or, or putting an IV in someone's arm, everything we do is an opportunity to do it in a way that worships God. Do it with excellence because we reflect his glory. And last week, we talked about industry. We talked about when we work hard, we're reflecting. When we do things with excellence, we're reflecting who God is and the glory of God. And we're working as if God is the one who is our boss. God is the one we answer to because we do. And this week, as we're talking about integrity, man, there are so many everyday opportunities for integrity. But this is not just a surface level, yeah, i let only try and be a little more truthful, this runs down deep to the very our very faith in God. See, when we think of integrity, uh, we we think of things like uh, lying and cheating and stealing. We just think on that level, like, well, okay, this is a lie. This is, I mean, this is not really a lie. I'm just, it's kind of like, well, it's like a white lie, you know? Like, this one is, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of just spinning the truth. Okay, maybe that was an exaggeration, but that's that's not actually a lie let's play this out, man, there are a million opportunities to reflect that integrity before the Lord today, right? Let's say, let's create a crazy scenario. Let's say that I'm, I'm a salesman, okay? I, I work in sales, and my, uh, my boss comes and says, uh, hey, Barnes, uh, what's going on with that Acme account? Uh, they were waiting for you to get back to them a couple weeks ago. What, what's happening with, uh, with, with that account? And immediately, I remember Oh yeah, the Acme account. I forgot all about that. But clearly I'm not gonna say that to my boss. So I say, Oh, I thought Simmons was doing the ACME account. I mean, that's what I was told. I, I didn't know I was I mean, you know if I was supposed to do it, I'd have done it right away. I mean, I talked to Simmons, but if you want me to do it, boss, I'll do it and I'll get it done tomorrow. Expect the report on your desk tomorrow, okay? And what's so easy to do? I'll lie. So easy. Because I'm afraid. So out of fear, I just quickly lie. So then I call. Um, yes, Acme. Um, hey, man, I'm just calling here. I'm, this, uh, I'm uh, Roby Barnes, just calling about you know, the sales. We'd love to you know, provide some of our product for you. Like, oh, man, well, I haven't heard from you guys in two weeks. I had to go with this other company. I'm about to sign on the dotted line because, I mean, I need this. In just a, I got to get it in a month, and I, I, that's too, too short a time. I'm about to sign on the dotted line. I can't start over. And then you're thinking, yeah, he's right. I can't get it, the product to him in a month. But I can't say that. I got to answer to the boss. Look, man, we can easily get it in a month, okay? Like, look, you you don't want to go with them. We throw all these incentives at you. No, you got to go with us. And I'll just, I'm just exaggerating a little bit. Like, maybe it could get there in a month. It's never done that in history before, but it's possible, you know? But I'm going to tell them, absolutely, it'll be there. So what have I done? I've just kind of exaggerated a, a little bit. So I sign on the dotted line. Or you have them sign on the dotted line. And then a couple weeks later, you know? Uh, He calls up like, hey, it's not showing up in four weeks. What happened? Oh, look, I mean, everything's backed up, you know, COVID and all, okay? (laughs) It's not my fault, okay? Now is that true? Like I'm not. There is such a thing as COVID. I mean, it's not my fault. Okay, so I've lied. I've exaggerated. Now I've kind of spun the truth a little bit. Like, look, I'm working as hard. Hey, it's not me. Get mad at, at someone else. I, I, I'm doing. The, I'm just the middleman here. I hate to uh, tell me. I'm, I'm yelling at them too. Okay, I know what you're saying. Now I'm spinning the truth. Okay, and as longer we go, man, we can just each little thing there. We're operating out of trying to protect ourselves. We're operating because we're afraid. See, we, we don't, no, none of us want to think of ourselves as liars, but man, when it comes down to the grind, there are so many opportunities day after day, right? To face the temptation, to always tell the truth. What about uh, stealing? I mean, none of us would say, well, yes, I am a thief. When we think of stealing, we think of embezzling or skimming, but there's all kinds of things you can steal, Right? Uh, You can steal uh, data, you can steal intellectual property, you can steal inventory. In fact, um, there are some estimates that go as high as that, that American companies lose $50 billion a year in company theft from the inside. How about time? I'm just not motivated. I have a terrible boss, okay? And I, so much bureaucracy and red tape. Well, it's not, If I work hard, nothing happens anyway. And so, some other employee very easily just finds a way to justify just wasting so much time that they then later get compensated for. That's stealing. How about gossip? That's stealing. You're robbing someone, you're robbing someone of their reputation. You're worried that Simmons is gonna be mad at you. So you preemptively start spreading things about Simmons. And you're robbing Simmons of his reputation. You're breaking down relationships that he could have. You're stealing something that doesn't belong to you. There's all kinds of ways that integrity, day after day after day, gives us an opportunity to reflect the Lord. How about just the integrity before the Lord of living out lives of holiness? How about the integrity that Joseph faced? How about impurity? In conversations, in the places that I choose to go. Well, the boss tells me I have to take clients there. Well, Joseph refused and he had a lot less flexibility than you did. What about the integrity of doing the right thing because you stand before the Lord? What about the integrity to know that your search history is seen by the Lord? What if the integrity to know that your text messages, your social media interactions, the comments, the things that happen at company parties, and your thought life is seen before the Lord? See, ultimately, it comes down to this. What are we relying on for our lives? I mean, let me ask you this. It's 1,000% clear in this text who gave Joseph the success? Who was it? It was God. It wasn't up to Joseph, was it? So Joseph just does it God's way. That's all Joseph was called to do. Let's break it down to these two things have integrity because of the fear of the Lord. You stand before Almighty God. And so when you're afraid, that if you have integrity, you'll miss that promotion, you'll miss that scholarship, you'll, you'll miss that account, you'll miss that deal, you'll miss whatever it is. When you're afraid that you'll get fired or you'll let go or blackballed from the industry or whatever it is, when you're afraid, understand that your fear before the Lord, not cowering in fear, but your awe and respect of the Lord is what's driving you to have integrity and that's so much stronger than anything that humanity could do to you. But here's the second thing. Have integrity, not just because of the fear of the Lord, but because of God's chesed love. So you you can have integrity with the fear of the Lord. You can have integrity even when it's gonna cost you because you have fear before the Lord. But you can also have integrity You can have integrity because of the fear of the Lord when you feel like, well, I get away with it, but you stand before the Lord. But if you have integrity because of the chesed of the Lord, it's a steadfast love, then you know even if there are consequences, he's just repositioning me for something that's going to work out better. For something that's going to work out according to his plan. Probably something I could never dream of. Not, he not, doesn't have to come up with uh, and meet my expectations. He's just going to do something according to his will. Um, we're all faced with the decision. What are we going to do this week? What are you going to do tomorrow? You're going to have an opportunity tomorrow. You're going to have an opportunity this week. And um, you'll be facing consequences. But I want you just to consider. Can you can just consider the consequences of not having integrity? Trust is like a chain. Chains are incredibly strong. You pull thousands of pounds with a a chain like this. Chains are extremely strong and trust is like a chain. The thing about, um, about a chain is it only takes one link, right? One link breaks and the whole chain snaps. It's not a bunch of different links, just one link. This is like trust. As you build trust in your relationships, it's like adding another link on the chain. With every decision, with every honest decision, with every reliable thing, with everything you've done that's dependable, every single link is another reliable thing that you're then extending farther out and farther out and farther out. That builds trust. That's the foundation of relationships. That's the foundation of marriage. That's the foundation of friendships. That's the foundation of relationship parent to child. That's the foundation of your business relationships, of your relationships with your employees, relationship with your coworkers, relationship with your boss. The foundation of relationships is trust and what builds trust is is consistently making decisions that have integrity and when one link is broken you got to stop and start rebuilding the chain the trust of chain all over again and it can be rebuilt but you got to start over so is the consequence worth it See, what, see how the Lord has wired and how important integrity is. It's standing by truth. And so I bring it to this question What would happen? How does, if every Christian in South Florida committed their life to living out a life of integrity, how does that change the city? If every Christian was committed, If every Christian said, I'm going to go out into the city and all the different industries, how how would that change things? How would that forge trust throughout the city? How would that forge trust in marriages? How would that forge trust in friendships? How would that forge trust in churches? How would that forge trust uh, within within workplaces, among neighbors? How would that forge trust? All throughout and and as that begins to build that can influence you you by having integrity by modeling to a world that doesn't know how to be excellent and have integrity that doesn't know how to operate in your industry with integrity as you show them how you're forging trust and maybe you can influence your branch maybe you can influence your office maybe you can influence your company maybe you can influence your industry as you slowly show, what if every Christian leaned in and said, no, we are going to model to the world what it means to have integrity. Someone wants to find integrity as what you do when no one's looking. But maybe a richer way of saying that is that you're careful on what you do because God is always looking. And out of a fear of the Lord and a trust of the Lord and a hesed of the Lord, you know he loves you, you know he's got a plan, and so you walk out every step of the way saying, God, I'm not afraid of the consequences. No, my awe and respect is for you. And so I will walk forward with integrity and receive the consequences because I know whatever it is, you're going to work out for good. You will have an opportunity to do that this week. And it's my prayer on each of us, City Rev., that we will walk into our city walking with integrity and forging those relationships and modeling that and setting culture for that wherever we go. Now some of you might be here and saying, look, um, this is not how I've been living. I've not been living like this. I've got things in the shadows. I've got my my business practice. I I do those things. I lie, I spin, I exaggerate. I make promises that I know I can't keep. I don't disclose things I should. Like I've, whatever it is, like I know that I'm not living this way, and I've just I've realized that I've I've not just sinned against those I've I've not been truthful with. I've sinned against God. Return to the Lord today. He's a faithful. He's faithful to you. He's covenanted in his relationship to you. He receives you back with forgiveness, but. Come to the Lord with repentance. Don't do the same thing. Go a different direction. Live differently. Find repentance and transformation today. Some of you are saying, look, I'm not even sure I'm in that relationship with God. I mean, I'm kind of religious and spiritual, but how do I know that I'm in that? I mean, it's described like a marriage. How do I know that I'm actually in that relationship with God? How do I know if I'm there? It's by simply he's... He's offering you salvation. He's offering you that reconciliation with him. You just have to receive that. And he'll take over take, take over, and take care of all the rest. I want to lead you in that prayer. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? If you're here and you're saying, look, I, I want to enter into that kind of relationship with God, it's not by you, it's not by what you do. It's by what Jesus already did for you. It's by what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. So if you want to take that step, I want to lead you just in a simple prayer of acceptance. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, just simply right there in your seat, silently pray this. Say, Lord Jesus I just surrender to you. I want to enter into that kind of relationship where we belong to each other. God, I want to know that your love and your forgiveness and your grace is always meeting me right where I'm at and empowering me to live a new life. So I receive that work. I find salvation from you, Jesus, today. In your name we pray, amen. Look, if that was your prayer just then, what I wanna ask you to do if you're watching online, just grab your cell phone, go to cityrev.org slash faith. We're gonna send you a Bible and celebrate with you. So just go real quick, just gonna ask you a couple questions so we can send you a Bible. If you're here and that was your decision today, you're gonna to turn your life over to Jesus. You can fill that out on the Get Connected card and put that in one of the uh, giving boxes. Or... You can um, go by guest services. We'll give you a Bible today. We would love to celebrate with you. If today you're considering getting baptized, you know, one way to think about baptism is it's like the wedding ring. You know, there's an outward symbol of the fact that I'm married, of my covenant with Rebecca. I wear, I wear this wedding ring. That baptism is that outward symbol of your covenant relationship with God that you've given your life over to Jesus. And if you want to get baptized today, I want to challenge you. When we start singing, you can go to the back and you can go to that table and say, hey, I want to get baptized today. You can do that today. We would love to celebrate with you. Church, we're going to close with a song and we're going to be reminded that of everything in our life, Jesus is the center. It's not our own works, not our own efforts, it's not our own success, it's not our own company, it's not our own business, it's not our own career, it's not our own dreams. Jesus is the center of everything. We enter into every space with Jesus as the center, and we're gonna say that back to Jesus together today. Would you stand with me as we close? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org.